E ngā iwi kua tahuri mai ki te hōtaka nei a Tiahika nei rā te mihi mai oha, kia koutou. This week, Tiahika features the first episode of a series where six former Māori politicians open up about their time in Parliament. Presented by blogger, writer and commentator Morgan Godfrey, the interviews take place inside Parliament's historic Māori Affairs Committee room, which is also the name of this series. Mā tangirea. Parliament is full of larger-than-life characters, but some loom larger than others. During her 15 years in Parliament, Matidia Ture became one of our most admired Māori politicians, respected by both the left and right. Her dramatic exit from Parliament during the 2017 election upset many. But Matidia's story is not a Shakespearean tragedy, it's one of resilience. Pehu me tararua o kumaunga, ko whanganui me rua mahanga o kuawa, no ati haunui a paparangi me natikahanunu ki wairapa. How does it feel to be back? Do you feel emotional <laughs> about that? It's a bit weird. It's been nearly two years since... Um, I was last here, so yeah, but it's, you know, I was here for a long, long time. I know this place really well. I wonder what it was like for you when you first came to this house in 2002 as an MP. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like, you know, when you first walked into the house? How did it feel to come from your background as a single mum who put herself through law school and then arriving in Parliament like that? How did that feel? Uh, I had never been here before, before I actually turned up to work here. So it was really odd, but... I guess because I hadn't worked here, but I'd been in, you know, the protest movement, that sort of stuff, and um, it kind of felt like a place that could be tackled, mm. if that makes sense. So I didn't feel particularly intimidated by it. I didn't really know what I was doing. It took a while to figure out what the job was, but um, the institution itself wasn't that as intimidating as it might be for somebody else, I think. I just want to go back a little bit further now. When you were growing up, did you ever actually imagine that you would... Become a parliamentarian? No, no, I was going to be a solid gold dancer. <laughs> because Atia was awesome. Um, no, no, nothing like this. Uh, the, I think the only reason um, I ended up thinking that this was possible was because of the trajectory from being involved in the protest movement, unemployed rights protest movement in the 80s, um, and then transitioning into law. Once that happened, it just seemed that uh, skilled up, we can take on power and authority um, once you've got the skills to do it. And uh, there's been lots of examples of that. It's not just, you know, it's a common experience. But um, until you have those skills and you can see how you can tackle authority structures, it's really hard to imagine that you would ever have a place in in a sort of environment like this. When she entered Parliament, today was a commercial lawyer for Simpson Grierson, but she'd already stood as a candidate for the McGillicuddy Serious Party and Aotearoa legalised cannabis. She had also been involved in social justice organisations. Do you feel like you picked up skills like that as well during your childhood? Were your parents political? Not particularly. Um, they, were, they were very working class. 
they were very um, they held on to the values of whānau really, really strongly. You know, your responsibility to care for others, that if you've got something that can be shared, then you share it. Um, and and so there's a really strong sense of kind of uh, responsibility and reciprocity and sharing and whānau that exists. That is a good value set and a good value base, I think, for doing work like this because it reminds you, keeps you grounded as to who you're connected to. Um, and who you belong to, even when you've got lots of trappings of kind of privilege and stuff that comes with a job like this one. Talking about Māori bodies, um, or the control of Māori bodies, <laughs> yeah. especially in the um, in the Tupapaku inquiry, mm. which you pushed. So that that's something that you've been pushing for for a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Improving, yeah. improving how the Crown deals with these things. I was at a tangi with my cousin um, and on the East Coast, and um, he had mongrel mob connections. And at the same tangi, at the same time, there was also a young man there who'd also had those connections. He was, I think, 16 or 17, and he'd been killed in a car crash. And so the two tangi were running at the same time on the same whare. Um And during it, um, his uncle, the young man's uncle, came to talk to me about... Um, the real problems they'd had in getting his body. Um, that, you know, it was really clear how he died and so there was no need for, you know, any kind of inquest or anything, but he was being held at the funeral home and the whānau couldn't go in and they wouldn't they wouldn't let the whānau in, um, he felt, because they had whānau who was mongrel mob um, and that they had this, you know, this appalling traffic accident that had killed their baby, you know, their baby boy, that's 16, 17, um, you know, it was just compounded by this complete disassociation from them, of them as a whānau um, during a really appalling period in their lives. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that can't be unusual. So I spent a bit of time asking other people, and honestly, every Māori I talked to had a story. Yeah, so I worked on the idea of the inquiry for quite a long time, but it was actually when we were Māori Fez members were in Tūruru's office and we were talking um, about bringing these photos in here and, uh, <laughs> and it was really good conversation. Everybody was like on the same page about the photos and so I mentioned it there about whether they would be keen on this inquiry and again, it was just a flood of stories. Mm. Like they, <laughs> Māori MPs had stories that were really similar about you know people not being brought over from Australia and it was just like full on. So it was really easy to get it through because it's such a common experience for us to have um, there's just such a cultural disconnect often but um, the inquiry was really good in that it was clear that there needs to be much more explicit requirement for recognition of um, tikanga Māori that whānau actually need to be told what their rights are because they have lots of rights that they didn't know and that um, even the people they were talking to whether it was police or whatever, didn't know. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot more control that whānau have over their tupapaku than they realise, but they were just never told about it. In 2018, Parliament passed an amendment to the Coroner's Act, giving Māori greater access and control over the deceased bodies of their loved ones. It was a unifying cause for Māori MPs. I'm interested um, about Māori women because up until 1993, only three Māori women had ever sat in Parliament before, and the numbers weren't that much better by the time you arrived in 2002. I wonder, at the time, was it lonely? It was probably a little bit lonely inside the caucus. I was the only Māori woman in the caucus for quite a long time. Um, um, actually, for, for a very long time. <laughs> but um, 
But I think there was camaraderie between the Māori women here, parliamentarians, that was much easier to... Um, it was much easier to be, to be part of and to work with them. Um, there were times when we tried, as a group of Māori MPs, I mean, you know, all of us, to get together and stuff, and it was very difficult to maintain that for long periods. We were always... We always criticised for us that we couldn't actually get together to talk about stuff, but there's a lot of politics and fix relationships and infects trust in a negative way. Um, and I think as Māori women, though, that we were able to trust each other more. Never, I never felt that anything I said with those Māori women outside of you know, the kind of argument of the parliament or the select committee, I never felt that anything I said to them would be used in some way against me. Mm-hmm. certainly felt I could always trust them. When the foreshore and seabed hikoi arrived out here, out to the steps of Parliament, what side of the fence were you on? Oh, well, I was on the inside, actually. I'd been down to see them as they were coming up the road and then um, came back in, because I could, and out through the top doors. And when I did, Rod Donald, bless him, had gotten this big green banner that said, Honour the Treaty, and the MPs were standing on the steps with this giant green banner. I was just so stoked that he'd done that. I had no idea. It was like a surprise. And... It was so good to be on this side, knowing that they had my back. I mean, mm. they really, really did. Was it a little bit terrifying, though, when you walk out? When you walked outside the doors, twenty thousand Maoris on the lawn. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like, oh my god, this is this is fierce as. But I knew that they knew that we were on on their side of this debate, and that as uh, inexperienced as I was as a politician, that my analysis was right. At the time, Labour held all seven Māori seats. Māori voters were calling on their MPs to oppose the legislation. The pressure on them was immense. But at the end of the day, only Tariana Turia would cross the floor. What were your interactions with the Māori MPs at the time like? Did you feel sorry for them? Uh, yeah, I did. I did feel sorry for them in one respect, and that they were getting a heap of abuse and they were maintaining the party line, but I also just could not understand how they could do that in the face of what was so obviously wrong. Uh, um, you know, I was new and uh, I was pretty committed to, you know, my position on it. Um, and I still think that perhaps if they had worked together in a different way, they may have been able to either achieve more or at least maintain the kind of stronger kind of tikanga approach to it. But, um, yeah, I'd, it was a mixture of feeling really pissed at them and really sorry for them and really frustrated that they you know, weren't taking... Um, or that, and sometimes actually engaging in some of the kind of attacks on the submitters and things. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really awful to watch and really unnecessary. When the Māori Party repealed the Foreshore and Seabed Act and put through the Marine and Coastal Areas Act, the Tokutai Moana Act, how did you feel about that? Oh, I, was, I, was, I could see what they were doing politically-wise, but it meant nothing in reality. It was no different. Not in reality, it was no different. Um, I don't think they met their promise. But, I mean, this is me. They don't have to listen to me. They're their own party, and... Um, they were entitled to their own views on it, but I just thought it, all you're doing is replacing one version with another version and it really doesn't make any difference. There's no, there's no less of a confiscation. Yeah, that ties into the Greens' position on treaty settlements, doesn't it? That treaty settlements 
aren't full and final, no. and they don't address the actual confiscation. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Um, because one then they, they can't possibly be full and final, and the actual restitution is so poor, and um, it's really just a fraction of the resource taken that's returned, um, and it's still on the Crown's terms. So, you know, they're still dictating the terms, including how much the restitution is. There's no real negotiation over the money. In the end, it doesn't deal with the key political question, which is the sharing of power. And that is why it can't possibly be full and final. Um, it's a, they, are, they are resource agreements, but they don't, they don't properly deal with the treaty and its utility and its, um, and its actual requirements, which is that there is a dual process here. There's a, there's a by a political process or, hmm. you know, whatever phrase you want to use. Yeah, yeah. There's Moana Jackson's beautiful quote about treaties aren't settled, treaties are honoured. And that's yes, something yes, that something the yeah. Greens always point out at those third reading yeah. speeches. But I wonder if there's any pushback when you point that out. Chris Finlayson used to hate it when he said <laughs> that. It just made you want to say it even more because he's like so... He could just be so awful and personal. It was just like, oh, my God, what's he going to say now? And I think every minister um, of treaty settlements who's getting these deals through does f- genuinely feel that they're doing something good. I mean, they're going through a process with the iwi, and, and that process matters. It's a relationship process that matters. But that doesn't... They've, they've got to keep un- reminding themselves of the boundaries of it, and the boundaries are that it doesn't go into political decision-making, and that is what has to happen at some point. Do you think that <laughs> when you stood for co-leader against Sue Bradford when Jeanette Fitzsimons stood down, mm. do you think having had that treaty discussion then made it probably a bit more palatable to have a Māori co-leader? I think the party had had trust in my leadership ability, essentially, um, and that because I had helped lead them through these big treaty issues... Um, that are really hard for Pākehā organisations, really hard, um, that they felt that they could trust me then with other leadership issues. I mean, I think that that was part of it. Um, in the Greens, being able to be a problem solver, being able to bring people together is a really important part of our leadership approach. And that's, that's what our members are always, you know, they're always looking for the person who can do that. Um, and they saw me as being that person because they'd seen me do it a couple of times before. Did it make you feel like a mediator? <laughs> Um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's a, one, of, one of the many skills that a good politician is going to have to have. Um, mediation on some days and just just bossing people around on others. I mean, it's just like, you know, but you have to be able to convince people of things and you have to carry their trust. You had a decriminalising cannabis bill yep. in 2009 in the ballot, I think it was. I think so, yeah. And I took it over from Nandu, I think, that one. Mm. Or maybe we had two, but mm. yeah. And that, we're getting progress on that. Yes. Welfare reform. Vote yes in the referendum. Vote yes in the referendum. Glad you got that pitch in. <laughs> uh, welfare reform as well. Um, there's movement on that, especially for single mothers, yep. which we talked about before. With all of that going on, does it kind of feel like you're missing out, though? Well, I do my fair share of yelling at the tally, like like everybody else does, when I think that things are not going fast enough or have been dumb. But um, no, that's the whole point, is that you make your contribution and you move on. And the, the, the best signifier that your contribution mattered is that the issues that you were working on continue to progress. Like, if everything you've done continues to grow and evolve in good ways, you know, fast or slow, whatever you might think, then 
that's a fantastic legacy. I don't, yeah, so no. And I'm also extremely pleased that there's other people with enormous amounts of energy <laughs> doing it too because, you know, I, it was getting, 15 years was a long time to be here hmm. and it was a long time to be here without a break of any kind um, and you can't take one as a list MP. So, um, you know, you've got to, to do this job well, you have to have a real fire in your belly hmm. um, and, you know, that dampens over time. Hmm. Hmm. Did, so did you feel like when it came to 2017 and the end of that election that it really was the time to go? I tried to go in 2015 um, had my retirement and resignation all lined up, but I got pipped at the post by uh, Russell. <laughs> so it all crashed and burned and I ended up staying on. So, you know, like it, it definitely um, had been thinking that the time was coming hmm. to finish and it was just a question of when. Um, I would have loved to have stayed on and become a minister, but, you know, that that is a secondary consideration at the time anyway to changing the government. So, mm. you know, you just you just work with what you got, you do what you can and when your time is to go then it's gone. It's yeah. like and it's you know, you just move on to something cooler. Yeah, if you could have picked a portfolio if you had oh, a social on, development. what would have been Yeah, social development without question. You, yeah, what would you have done? Oh, what were the things at for, the top of the list? Well, um well it wouldn't take me a another 12 months to sort out that um, issue with the naming of the father. I can tell you that now. But, <laughs> oh, God, how much longer do these families have to wait? Um, but then, you know, I accept that uh, my agenda would have been considerably more radical than um, the current government's is, and it would have taken a lot to negotiate that through um, even, yeah, through any kind of coalition government. So, you know, you what you want and what you get is all just a kind of matter of pragmatism and, um, you know, and being prepared to take some hits and some concessions when you have to. So I imagine I would have been fabulous and done everything and, like, made everybody really happy and <laughs> sold child poverty in the first, you know, 12 months, but I'm sure that that's not true. Well, what other things were at the top of your list? Not just about the solo mothers and naming the father, but what other things? Were... Oh, just income. I mean, the you know the, the fact is that there is still this kind of bizarre idea that you solve poverty by doing a whole ton of other things except giving poor people more money. Mm. I mean, you know, like it's just it's insane. Mm. Um, the whatever other issues families might have, if they also have no money then nothing else can be resolved. So you sort out their financial situation, make sure they've got enough to live, and then if these other things that need to be sorted out, you deal with that. But it's just, mm. you know, there's still this real um, blame culture and anti-beneficiary kind of culture you know, that, that just pervades this country and it's totally bizarre. I wonder if you felt like sometimes this place was quite trivial, like with John Key's focus on the flag. Did that feel quite... Were there times Everybody where people felt it. trivial to you? Oh, heaps of times. But this, but this is um, one of the really queer things about this place is that the, the really important things that affect people's lives, you know, when we make enormously critical decisions, well, we did, I've got to stop talking about it in the mm. present tense, we make enormously important decisions that are critical to whether families have jobs, have homes, you know, really basic stuff that they rely on every single day. 80% of our time was spent just arguing about bollocks, just wasting time. And it's probably the thing that 
drove me most mad about being here is that in the face of all everything we knew which is happening outside that so much time was just spent on just nothing saying nothing doing nothing um but arguing for arguing's sake because you know that's the culture of the place who knows what's going to happen with this government you know they're only two years in we'll see if that's different Um, i really hope it is tell me what was your proudest achievement Winning the co-leadership made me enormously proud because it meant that um, uh, the whole Green Whanau had my back and that, you know, that they wanted to. And it's just like, that's an amazing feeling. And, you know, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work. Um, being the uh, political person on child poverty and that real, you know, the, the real lives of Whanau in terms of housing and stuff... You know, as as hard work as that was, being relentless about that. I'm really proud of having been relentless about that. Um, yeah, I, I, it's hard. I don't know. During the Greens 2017 campaign launch, Today attempted to highlight the punitive approach to beneficiaries, sharing that as a student she hadn't declared to wins rent from flatmates, so she and daughter Pupu wouldn't have their solo parent benefit reduced. It was a bold move that ultimately cost Tude her job. I think Māori felt like they were going to have a Minister of Social Development in the form of you, in the form of Matilda <laughs> Tude, and now post-election they don't have that mm. Minister of Social Development. How does that make you feel? Um... I wanted that too. Mm. I did. And I'll always be sorry for the failure to deliver that. Mm. Genuinely sorry for that. Nothing was really more important than changing the government. Um, And that included, you know, my 10-year career as a um, minister, so you know you just in those moments you do what you need to do, and you keep your eye on the prize. Um, and yeah, I took a big risk. It was worth it. It will always be worth it, but it did come with a cost, and it was the cost of my job. But it was still worth the risk, always. Mm. When Pew Pew comes to you and she asks <laughs> yeah. you, Mum, what's your legacy? What are you going to tell her? Um, being brave. I was brave. Mm. You know, just... And it's important. People who are here doing this work need to stand up for what they believe in. And if they let that go, um, then they are without integrity, in my opinion. Mm, mm. And you were brave not just for yourself, but you took a stand on behalf of others as well here, didn't you? That's why I was here. Mm. You don't forget who you belong to, and you be brave. Yeah. Mātangi Reia, presented by Morgan Godfrey with former co-leader of the Green Party, Metiria Ture. This six-part series returns next Sunday here 
on Tiahika. But in the meantime, you can check out the entire video and podcast series at the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Nā reira, tēnei te mihi mai o hākia koutou katoa. Uh, kia tahuri a kia hau ki a koe e me tiria, nau anō i tākoha mai tō kōrero tūturu ki te ao. That's this week's episode of Tiahika Hoki Mai Atewiki Etu Mai Nei Mauri Tu Mauri Ora.